All right, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream and podcast for Thursday, August 18th, 2022. I am Aaron Schatz, the Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, joined today by Mike Tanier and Brian Knowles. And I uh, want to thank everybody who's watching us live on YouTube and Twitch and asking questions and being part of the discussion and uh, say hello to everybody listening after the fact on the Football Outsiders podcast network. Uh, this is a Football Outsiders Almanac preview show. We're going to talk about the Atlanta and Tampa Bay chapters, the Football Outsiders Almanac. But before we do, we have got to talk about the news and the news that broke this morning which is the end of the Deshaun Watson suspension ordeal that uh, the NFL will drop its appeal of the Deshaun Watson suspension with a settlement that calls for Watson to be suspended for 11 games and pay a $5 million fine. So then Watson proceeded to go out and do a press availability at the Cleveland Browns uh, practice facility where he showed no remorse whatsoever and said that he basically just wanted to apologize to anybody who got triggered by the whole affair. So um, how I felt about this when the announcement first came down and there was an official announcement from Watson of, you know, of apolog apologizing uh, and then how I feel about it now after he's done his little press availability are actually a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Let's find out how Mike and Brian feel first. I, I believe in second chances. I do believe in the ability to learn from other mistakes and to grow and develop as a person. But step one of that process, step zero of that process is admitting fault. It's understanding that what you did was wrong because you can't improve about it until you acknowledge it and understand that. And the fact that Watson is coming out and saying that he's always been saying on his innocence, that he's never disrespected anyone, even if you don't believe a single thing that any of the women have said, if, even if you only believe what Watson himself has claimed, he absolutely 100% has disrespected these people. And for no, if you can't even acknowledge that, on the day when you have finally come to a legal resolution about your problems, if you can't even admit the slightest bit of guilt or culpability, what are you doing here? What, you, you, you can't improve. You can't get past that point until you admit fault. And that's, that's ultimately my problem with this not being an indefinite suspension because he hasn't, he hasn't learned anything. He had, we're exactly where we were a year and a half ago. Yeah, there's a concept called restorative justice that's, you know, pretty well documented and it has success. It's, it's used in classrooms. It's been used by governments in the past to try to repatriate people in different situations. And it always starts with what you said, Brian, like the admission, the recognition of the guilt of the action and the consequences that should match that. And then then a journey back. And then it is. It's absolutely about bringing people back into the fold with a consequence that makes sense with punishments that fit the crime. And he hasn't met the, those requirements. And I think I'm with you, Aaron. When it first came out, 11 games, the millions of dollars, and it's like, this is how the sausage is made. This is how we get the whatever we're going to get done consequence-wise. And now it's like, okay, I've, I've, we've all lived with this for months. You know, the poor victims. Yeah, I, 
I understand why yeah. the NFL wanted a settlement. They didn't yes. want to go to the appeals process because then there was a possibility that the lead, that the NFLPA could then appeal things to a federal court and find right. problem with the way that the CDA is written. And right. they, at a certain point, we, we had to stop doing this. We had to come to some sort of resolution about this. So I understand why the league was like, all right, let's come to a resolution we got a longer suspension. We got a fine. Let's move on. But the way that Watson then went out and didn't show any remorse is hurt. Is is painful. Nauseating. It's nauseating. Like I went from yeah, I, I understand this. Let's start to move on to. I'm sick to my stomach. And you know, while we were talking, while you were doing the intro, the Haslam's were up there. Jimmy Haslam was up there, completely tripling down on all of this. And you know, doing this as a second chance and making him out like he's doing something benevolent in this case. It's gross. And it's exactly like, I feel compromised having to do this right now. I feel compromised having to to talk about this. Well, I feel like there's no way around that. I mean, even right. when, I know. I'm when not when saying out with the settlement. I was like, no matter what they announced. Right. We were all going to feel a little dirty about it unless they announced that Watson could never play again. Right. And even yeah. then I'd feel a little dirty because then I'd feel like, well, the guy deserves some kind of second chance if he shows remorse, right? Like that would have been too much. Like yeah. I, he, the fact is he did a bad thing that makes us all uncomfortable to talk about. There's no way to talk about it without getting uncomfortable. Right. But it just, you wanted to see some remorse. You wanted to see some remorse and there's just none. Right. You get the opposite of remorse. That's what we really got here. The opposite of the more. It's like, ha, 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 I got away with it, you bastards. I'll be back in December. That's pretty much what you're getting today. And it must be uncomfortable to be a Cleveland Browns fan. It's uncomfortable for me as this whole process has been uncomfortable because of the fact that the Cleveland front office has been associated with analytics. I have friends who work in the Cleveland front office. Like, and I'm not, I mean, for people who are diehard fans of this team and have been for years and years, it's just uncomfortable. You don't decide as a fan of the team who wears the uniform that you root for. And it's just, it just feels like the Browns are so desperate for the winning that they just, that they never, I mean, some team was going to be, some team was going to be so desperate for the winning that they were going to never make Watson face like serious circumstances right and that this, it just happens to be the browns were the team but it just feels so uncomfortable yeah it's it, it is it's terrible to be the fan of a team in a situation like this i know when i was covering the niners in 2014 we had the bay mcdonald situation the, 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 like five or six different domestic violence situations all at the same time and that that just felt terrible as a fan because you want to support your team you want to support i don't blame any browns fan for still wanting to support the team you, you're a football fan for a reason you, you love this kind of thing but when you you are bringing and you're actively bringing in these 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 negative these cancers these problems with your fandom, that that just the NFL is entertainment. It's first and foremost entertainment. So we're supposed to enjoy what we're seeing on the field, and this just takes that away from such a large percentage of the fan base. It's 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 ridiculous. The other thing is that it's our job as football writers to talk about the football aspect of this, like what it means as Watson the player, what it means for the Browns as a team, and that feels really uncomfortable. Like I can go on about, um, you know, isn't it interesting that his first game back is against the Houston Texans, and it's right. interesting that he's going to miss one game against each of the division foes, but play one game against each of the division foes. <laughs> and that's important if you're a Cincinnati or a Baltimore fan. That's important. 
But it also feels uncomfortable to talk about because the fact is what happened to these women and what they went through is a lot more important than whether Cincinnati has to face Deshaun Watson once or twice. Yeah, I've done enough Columbus and Cleveland radio over the last seven, eight, nine, ten months. And like when the first, the six game suspension is announced and they bring you out, it's like, well, let's go through the games here with Jacoby. And then the game's coming back. Let's start doing wins and losses. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We're, we're there now. But, but I recognize like we have to do it, you know, for DVOA, not just for the Browns, but for the other teams. It's just like there's an appropriateness level. And like, how far removed are you from it? Is it 45 minutes later, an hour later, a day later? Are you doing it with your face in front of somebody or, you know, putting it up on an article? Either way, there's there's a disconnect. There's a, there there is it's a discomfort. There's an awkwardness about the entire thing, and it's yeah, we hate we hate being put in this situation. But you realize you're put in a situation because something absolutely horrible happened dozens of times. People have pointed out the 11 game length of the suspension likely has to do with the way contracts are told in the NFL that you have to play six games in order to toll your contract to the next year, and that matters for. It, there, there seems to be a disagreement online about whether that matters for what Watson gets paid in 2023, but it definitely matters for how many years of his contract toll and when he becomes a free agent again and whatever. And so that's the reason. But the fact that it ends up with Cleveland at Houston as the first game, like the league has a responsibility to hide that game, like <laughs> to, to not turn that game into drama. Like, right. They honestly have a responsibility to have that game shown in Cleveland and Houston and maybe Austin and San Antonio, and that is it. Agreed. Agreed. I don't think any of us need that. It's a one o'clock game. Yes. So there's no reason. If this thing starts, because people are already online, like, ha this is the NFL is going to turn this into a drama. I don't think they have that level of like Lex Luthor evil in them, although it's fun to pretend that they do. But it's a one o'clock game. It should be this regional nonsense. You're exactly right. If I start saying it flexed out or something like that, I'm, I'm going to puke. No, I think I think that the league understands that not all publicity is good publicity. Right. And that if it looks like they specifically made this suspension so that they could flex that game to prime time and make a big deal of it, uh-huh. they are going to get smacked in the press. And I think that the league does I would hope the league wants to stay away from that. I would hope. I would hope and I agree. I think you're right on that that respect. So, I mean, you know, I would have liked to have seen a longer suspension. Part part of me is glad this is that, that we don't have to worry about that that this is over. We have a number now. Like we have a number now, and he is getting some kind of fine and has to go to some kind of counseling. And the problem is, you know, if you're not willing to admit fault, what on earth is counseling supposed to do counseling. for you? Like you sit down with the counselor and then you go, Well, you know, I didn't do anything wrong, and the counselor goes, Well, and then you go home. Like, what is right. that doing you? The counselor can't force you to do anything. Can't force you to admit anything. They can sit there and, and mark the hour and bill the Browns for the hour and, and walk away. It's like you you cannot yeah you cannot lead this horse to water and make them drink at the same time. And I was saying to Brian off screen before. It's like you know Bubba gets sent to counseling for road rage in a trailer park somewhere, and the the judge says you get twenty hours of counseling. Even Bubba from the trailer park knows to say, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, judge. I, I say, he walk out flipping on the bird the moment nobody's looking. Deshaun Watson doesn't even have that much respect for the process, respect for his employers, respect for the community or anything to to even say, yes, yes, I'm going to do these things. And that's what's, that's what's so nauseating about it. Hmm. 
I don't know if the viewers have any thoughts in the discussion thread before we move on to talking about the NFC South. Uh, if you have something you want to be heard about, but my guess is there's a lot of agreement. Like nobody feels comfortable about this. Yeah. There's not, I mean, there's, I, there must be out there some sort of Deshaun Watson supporters yeah. who wanted him to get a smaller, but I don't, there aren't that many of them, honestly. Like, I don't think even if you, you know, not to get political, but even if you don't like woke politics or whatever, what he did is just so icky that I can't imagine being a supporter. And if you're a Browns fan, you want your team to win, so you want the better quarterback. But oh, it's it's also just uncomfortable. That demographic ain't watching our podcast. That that demographic is probably not watching our podcast. That's true. All right, let's move on and talk about the NFC South then, which is a much more fun subject uh, because it's a division of interesting teams, including the NFC favorites by our numbers. So the question of the day is Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown combined for 151 targets in 2021. Who is getting the largest share of those targets in 2022? A, There'll be more for Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. B, it's going to Russell Gage. C, Julio Jones. Or D, the tight ends. Kyle Rudolph, <laughs> Cameron Bray, Cade Otten. Uh, some sort of combination of those veterans and youngsters. Uh, what do you guys think? Where are the targets going with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I was very excited for Russell Gage uh, pretty much throughout the entire offseason. I think he is um, underrated, might be underrated, might not be the right word for it, but underappreciated for what he can do. And I thought he was going to do really good in the system. And then they went out and signed Julio Jones. I still think Gage is going to be better than Julio this year. I think Julio is winding down pretty strongly, but mm -hmm. I think that at least early on, those some of those targets, which I assume were going to go to Gage, are going to go to Jones instead. We all saw, I think we were all tweeting out the one highlight yesterday from camp, Julio running around. Yeah. It looked like me pushing a wheelbarrow running through this route. And, you know, that's a shame. Julio's, I mean, Julio's a Hall of Famer probably, but it doesn't look like there's a lot left. I'm going to go with the tight ends. I saw Kyle Rudolph's name, and you just mentioned it, and my glasses almost fell off that Kyle Rudolph is on the Buccaneers roster right now. But the tight ends mixed with Scotty Miller, mixed with that kid Johnson, and all of those other, that soup of other receivers that they have there, I think that's going to absorb most of what we saw from Gronk and from uh, AB last year. Although some of those guys won't make the team. They have too many wide receivers. Scotty Miller may not make the team because there's Brashad Perriman also. Perriman won't so make be the team. Between Perriman, Johnson, and Miller, someone's not making it. Perriman will not make the team. It's going to probably be Johnson and Miller. I see Darden is in there too, but maybe so. Maybe Darden makes it in place. Darden has the special teams. They need him for returns, I think. Yeah, yeah good point. Good point. Good point. Um, maybe Kyle Rudolph will make the team. Kate Otten, baby. I think it's going to be Russell Gage that gets most of those targets. I do think there'll be a good amount of Julio Jones. I think, as much as I think Julio Jones is probably cooked, I wouldn't want to take one video of one target <laughs> as evidence for that. Uh, I don't think they're going to use a lot of tight end. There wasn't a lot of Cameron Brait last year in the games where Gronk was hurt. So I don't think they're suddenly going to be using a lot of Cameron Brait. So I think it's going to be Russell Gage, who is a good addition to this offense, which is our number one projected offense. So let's talk about our Tampa Bay Buccaneers projections. They project as the number one offense. And because offense 
uh, has a larger range of projections than defense does and is easier to predict than defense, being the number one offense makes them the number two projected team overall, even though their defense and special teams are projected to be slightly below average. This is where I say, like I have on all of these shows, talking about Football Outsiders Almanac, that our projections are historically very conservative and very grouped around 8.5, and that they were even more conservative this year than usual. So please do not take the 10.0 mean wins as a suggestion that you bet under Tampa Bay 11.5 in Vegas, because Tampa (laughs) Bay is still our number two team this year behind Buffalo and our number one team in the NFC. And we feel very strongly that they're going to be a very good team. I mean, there's always that possibility. It's been there every year. There is that possibility that this is the year father time finally claims Brady, Mm -hmm. but it's not a strong possibility. (laughs) I've given up on it. Like it's going to happen when he's 63 years old or something. I don't know. I, I was going to try to avoid making old man Brady jokes this time. And then he's had to take two weeks off in the middle of training camp. So I, I don't even know at that point. But yeah, I mean, this, this, yes, he's going, to start, he's going to be bad eventually. There's no reason to believe it's going to be this year as opposed to last year or next year. His arm looks as, you know, it looks as good as ever. You know, it's, gambler's fallacy. it's gambler's fallacy at this point. As somebody who rolled the dice on, you know, this is probably Brady's decline year. I think I started doing that in 2013 or something like that. It's gambler's fallacy at this point. When you see, when you actually see evidence of it, then you start thinking about it. Until then, he can, especially when, again, when he gets these loaded receiving cores and like this offensive line, even with the loss of the center, has like all the strength. He's got all these extra opportunities in place to not necessarily fall off in a way that we can say. I just yeah, love that he's breaking, I love that he's breaking all the age records, even going back to the 1920s when football was like 11 guys who knew each other showing up on game day. Mm-hmm. If he starts in week 18, he will officially be the oldest quarterback, oldest starting quarterback in NFL history, beating the 1921 Columbus Panhandles and Joe Nesson. So <laughs> he's like, he's, 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 it's, so, it's amazing to see him knocking out all these impossible to beat records. And the Columbus Panhandle's quarterback was a fullback, right? He was exactly. Actually, yeah, it was a publicity stunt. Seven members of the Nesser family started that day. It was a publicity stunt. The last time someone as old as Brady was starting at quarterback, like a Gordy Howe thing, it was a Gordy yeah. Howe thing. Yeah, the, yeah, Columbus, exactly. the Columbus Panhandle's mascot, a dancing frying pan. That was the best part of the Columbus Panhandle. That's not true. I'm making, no. oh. I'm making that up. No. No, the, oh. I don't know anything about the Columbus Panhandle. But the Panhandles were a railroad team known for traveling well because they had free tickets on the railroad and for being dirty as heck. Those, those, those are the two things you didn't know about the Columbus Panhandles. <laughs> I, I will say that the defensive projection is interesting because you know they had a high number of takeaways last year, so it sees a little bit of decline there. But this defense has been really good for a couple of years, and it doesn't like some of the lost talent. Right. Uh, like the safety, uh, whose name suddenly escapes me, Jermaine Whitehead, and uh, losing Jason Pierre-Paul. But the fact is they had players in reserve to replace those guys. So, right, like the projection system sees those players leaving. But we know that, like, Tryon Shoyinko was taken in the first round last year specifically to replace Jason Pierre-Paul when the time came for Pierre-Paul to leave. And we know they've got Mike Edwards and they signed Keanu Neal. And so they've got some safe. They've got Logan Ryan who could play safety. Like, they've got depth. Um, So I feel like the defense should even be better than our projections have it. 
the, the, the way I always, I, I was thinking about it as I was writing it is that the Bucks do have a lot of question marks. There's also have potential answers to every single one of those questions. They, they, they were ready and were prepared for this moment. Whether those will work or not, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But, but it's not like, oh, no, we have no idea what we're doing now at, you know, at outside linebacker right. whatever. They, they have guys just all ready to come up. Right. And, and um, a lot of the question marks is, is this guy done? Is that guy done? Yeah. Is this guy a little more hurt? It's never like, could this guy play at all? Yeah. It's not, right. <laughs> there's not any question along those lines. Like Akeem Hicks is not prime Akeem Hicks anymore, but he's a good addition. And they've got Logan Hall, who they drafted in the second round. If Akeem Hicks sucks, they've got Logan Hall to come into the lineup. So it's like there's some depth here. It's just a it's a well-built team. Sleepy Time Junction asks, you know, switching over back to offense, what exactly does Shaq Mason bring to the table for the Bucs? I think Shaq Mason is still an above-average guard in the NFL. His strength is definitely run blocking rather than pass blocking. Um, and he's probably not as good as Marpet was, but he's good. He's very good, right. He at least replaces Marpet. And you're right. It might be more that he can – again, they like running the ball, surprising a lot. They like running on early downs. He could be a force in that turn. Some of those second nates that they seem to want to put Brady in in the second and sixes and things like that. Some of that I wonder if it's Todd – what happens with Todd Bolt? Because they are switching to a defensive-oriented head coach, and we know yeah. so many defensive-oriented head coaches. Brandon Staley is, like, the huge exception to this. Like, so many defensive-oriented head coaches are like, let's run the ball, trust my defense, you know, and how much changes about the offense. But I feel like with Brady at quarterback, not a lot changes about the offense because Brady goes, no, I want to do it this way, and then that's the way you do it. Right. You know, provided he comes back from vacation at a certain point. <laughs> yeah. Especially with uh, Byron Leffert still being, uh, you know, in place there. That I, This is not like this issue with the Saints where I'm worried about them changing from the offensive head coach with, you know, the question marks, the quarterback. I have no doubt that the, the Buccaneers head coach is really Tom Brady. I mean, the, the, the Buccaneers are doing what, what, what Brady wants, at least offensively, and they're going to be just fine assuming Brady does not immediately crumble into dust because he ate a strawberry during his two weeks off. There's also been this sort of this back and forth about is Godwin, like Godwin's practicing, is Godwin going to start the season or is Godwin going to be out for a couple games or whatever. They'll like survive. If they don't have Chris Godwin for three or four games, they'll be fine. Right. I mean, maybe it costs them the number one seed. I don't think it costs them the division. Yeah. 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 In terms of Alex Kappa, they brought in, uh, they, they drafted Gadecki. Uh, at guard, who has a pretty good prospect. They got Aaron uh, – I think his name is Aaron Stinney out there right yep, now. Yep. That's that's not the strongest one-two punch, especially when you have questions at center well, as well. So that there is a little bit of a weak link in there. But, you know, that's that's what you get. It's not a perfect roster by any stretch of the imagination. It's still a very strong offensive line if you look at the talent across the board, particularly at the tackles. I was surprised. There was a lot of talk about J.C. Treader when the injury to Jensen happened and nobody's gone out in San Francisco. Also, there was talk about JC Treader. Nobody has gone out and signed JC Treader. The dude's still there. Like, yeah. Yeah. Someone asked me on a radio show, if he's being blackballed for being the president of the union. And like, first of all, he's a moderate. And so it's not like, like, what did he do? What did he, he, he got them to sign the contract that gave Goodell all the power of God that he wanted there. So, so I, I can't necessarily see that. And secondly, somebody has got to be the president of the union. Like even if right. you're, a, you know, cranky or freaking, uh, uh, these, you're Jerry Jones and you want to break the union. Somebody has to right, right. Like, like taking out one center. That's, that's not a good plan. I mean, I wouldn't put it past any of these numbskulls, but I don't think that's happening. 
Now, I would hope that that's not what's going on because, uh, I mean, J.C. Treader is still a good player and there are teams out there that need center help. And honestly, this is one of them because I don't know what Robert Hainsey was a third round pick a year ago. So we haven't seen a lot from him and they seem to trust him. But then there's nothing behind him. So what happens? There was a scare a couple of days ago where he had cramps or something and they were scared he had some kind of leg injury. And then it was like, oh, God, Tampa Bay's got nothing behind it. And the Browns, Treaders, former team, are down to their number three center right now. Yeah. They're down to their number three center. Now, I can see them having some sort of personal thing there with the guy who was in-house who was union president uh, because they're idiots, uh, of course. But yeah, let's get Tom Brady hurt because we want to break the union. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't – That doesn't. no, it does not compute. No. I, again, yeah. So, I mean, you know, Hainsey better be as good as they think he is because he is protecting Brady up the middle. Uh, do you have any about Hainsley? There'd be a new center. Do you have any fun props uh, for us about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, other than their usual over under of eleven point five? Yes, yes. Give me a second here to pull them up. Here we go. Alternate win totals. Now, again, these are available at any of your favorite sports books. You look around and you'll see alternate win totals over twelve point five wins. Over twelve point five wins at plus one ninety five. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I would take that. I when you have two games against the Falcons and Panthers, that increase that that really does help there. I, the schedule's not so incredibly tough that I uh, I'm afraid of it. And we have to raise the best offense in the league, and you know just keep going up when you have the best offense. I think I would stay away from it because of my sort of natural conservatism about things kind of yeah, grouping right. towards 500. 12.5 is a lot. But it's not ridiculous for plus 195 to to think that they're, that's like a 30%. You're basically betting that they have a 33% chance of going over 12.5. It's not ridiculous at all. Yeah. I think of that like in for a penny, in for the pound. Because the regular number is so high anyway, you're like buying you're, you're buying plus 195 for one more win. I could see. That's true, actually. If you're going to go at 11.5 for whatever it is, even or whatever. Yeah. Like you might as well do the twelve point five for plus one ninety five. Right. So if we're kind of bullish on that, we probably have no interest in under ten point five at plus one sixty five. Yeah, no. That, that's I mean, our simulation has interest in it, yeah. and I but I fully admit, like I need to do work on the simulation. It's too conservative. What we should be coming out with with our simulation, frankly is that the top team and the bottom team should be similar to Vegas. Like there should be other teams that are different from Vegas, but the range of possibilities should be similar to Vegas. And this is just too conservative. So uh, I know that the simulation likes the idea of going under 10.5 for, or uh, what what is it under 10.5 for? Yeah, uh, plus 165. It's interesting because that is their, uh, no, 11.5 is the, is yeah. the actual over under? Yeah, That's I mean, right. I don't think I would. I would do that. Yeah. Now, I call these the your cousin from Boston uh, props here. Not to give any uh, non sponsors a moment here, but because we all know all the best Buccaneers fans are from in Boston. So, Tom Brady over fifty five point five regular season touchdown passes. In other words, breaks the record. So, Tom Brady over fifty five point five touchdown passes. At plus eighteen hundred. If you're a Brady fan, that would be a fun. Yeah. That would be a fun one to root for. Seventeen games, that receiving core. 
I, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm gonna have to go no on that one. Just, I've, eventually it's gonna be bad. It's gonna happen eventually. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I wonder what that bet is for like Mahomes or right. Burrow or something. Can, but yeah, I, can, I, I don't think it's likely. There haven't been a lot of guys going over 50. Yeah. And to go over 55 is not. I mean, I, you know, they'll pull them out of the 18th game if nothing else. That's a good point. That could be the, you know. that could be the difference. I will look up Mahomes and all in a couple of minutes because I'd rather do that than talk about the Falcons. But I'll <laughs> give you guys one more. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers to go 17-0 and in the regular season and win the Super Bowl. Perfect season at plus 8,000. That is a fun one to be on if you're a Buccaneers fan, because you know that, that's that that's one that that's one. I, I'd rather be on the Brady 55 touchdowns because yeah. then at least he can have a bad day. If you have one bad day and you lose, that there goes your bet. I, I wouldn't do. The, the funny thing is to take that and then they lose week one at Dallas, which is entirely plausible. So right. you, you know, doesn't even get out of the out of the opening week of the season. That's a great example because it's like, oh, that sounds like a fun bet. And the Brady bet sounds like a fun bet. But that sounds like a bet that you could be, uh, yeah, halftime, the, the season opener. Like, well, I wasted that money. And that's not fun. That's not fun. Yeah, I have to look, I'd have to look up the simulation. But my guess is that it's less than a 0.5% chance of Tampa Bay going undefeated in the regular season. And then the fact is the team, a team that goes undefeated in the regular season has a less than even chance of winning the Super Bowl. Like, I know that sounds crazy because you think a team that goes undefeated in the regular season is going to be so dominant. But, right. I mean, the fact is that to then add to that three more wins, right. including one in a neutral, you know, is tough. That like probabilities get spread among 14 teams. Yeah. If you're spreading probability among 14 teams. There's a, The pie can only get split so much. By the way, Patrick Mahomes does not have a touchdown record prop listed officially at my preferred – what should I call it here? At DraftKings, folks. It's DraftKings. Yeah. <laughs> and neither does Burrow. We talked about Burrow the other day with the uh, some of the props that they have for him and Jamar Chase, and they were kind of fun. Okay. Yeah, those are definitely fun to do. And yeah, there are some Tampa Bay fans around here. There are certainly some people who followed Brady with their fandom rather than becoming big Mac Jones fans. But uh, we'll see how much we want to bet on that stuff. Not nearly as many as the Detroit Rams fans, I'm sure. That's oh, yeah, the Detroit Rams. There's a lot of Detroit Rams fans now. They're not as much fun to troll. Okay. Uh, All right, yeah, they don't have as good an accent. <laughs> There's no – nobody does a beer commercial about your cousin from, you know, Oakland. Gross, gross Point, In yeah. the suburbs of Detroit. I'm trying to think of like Detroit suburbs because nobody, I don't know, you know, this, but nobody from Detroit ever says they're from Detroit. Right. Most towns, if you ask people where they're from, if you don't know the suburbs, they'll just say, I'm from Philadelphia. Yes. Right? I'm from Boston. I'm from Dallas. People from Detroit always say, I'm from Bloomington Hills. Like they right. never want to say they're from Detroit. They always say they're from whatever suburb of Detroit they're from. Nice. The only one off the top of my head, besides like Eight Mile, is Gross Point. Yes, because there the was a John movie. Cusack movie, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons. That's our last team in the NFC South because we hit the Panthers and the uh, we hit the Panthers and the Saints on Tuesday. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons, who have a, 
like surprisingly high offensive projection. It looks and it sees some regression to the past and it likes, there's a thing in the, in the projection system now that gives you a bonus for having a highly drafted second year wide receiver or tight end. Cause those guys tend to like sometimes struggle a little bit in their first year and then come out in their second year. And Kyle Pitts, like, I think a lot of people feel like he could definitely explode and then it, they cost them a little bit for Drake London because he's in the first year and that likes, it likes Brian Edwards as an addition. Mm-hmm. Brian Edwards had good DYAR last year in Las Vegas. Uh, anyway, I feel like we keep talking about how our projections are too conservative. This is a good example. There's no way it is really hard, not no way, but it's really hard to imagine that Atlanta actually finishes this year with a winning record. This team is totally and completely rebuilding. Yes. Yeah. They have $63.3 million in dead money after the Matt Ryan and still Julio Jones trades, which is the most in NFL history, partially because the salary cap keeps going up. To quote Douglas Adams, they are spending the year dead for tax reasons. You had to hear that reference. Come on. We need you in the chat. And I would, I would love to you know, get some truth serum in there and figure out when did the Falcons front office decide to do this. I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. They had buried themselves under bad contracts for years and years and years. And ripping off the Band-Aid now gets them in a position where they can be financially healthy when, you know, Tom Brady finally retires, when the Saints' salary cap situation blows up, before the Panthers get any idea what they're doing. So they're, they're suffering through this pain now with the idea of, ne- of being successful next year, two years, three years down the line when, when the rest of the division's going down. I think it's a great plan. I just would love to know when they came up with it because it certainly did not feel like that was the plan uh, until year, Ryan said it. didn't feel like that was the plan last year. And, and, and when they were actually interested in Deshaun Watson, that was certainly not the plan. I would love to know how they would have financially planned that. They had the worst salary cap situation in the league. I mean, they and the Saints were, had, the, had the most uh, money pushed in the future, but at least the Saints were a wild card team. The, the Falcons were the, the worst seven-win team in the history of DVOA. So it's like you have you have you have a horrible salary structure and you have nothing to speak for it. That's t- that's the time to start rebuilding. So congratulations to the Falcons. You did a smart thing. And the good the good thing about Desmond Ritter is that by taking him in the third round, they are not truly tied to him in any way. If they end up with a top five draft pick, which I think we all believe is a very strong possibility, they can go out and draft a top quarterback and make Ritter the backup and everything's happy. And they have two live. Yeah, the odds that either Marcus Mariota or Desmond Ritter are the quarterback next season are low, but they're not zero. They do have two live cards in the deck here, which is exactly what you want to do. If Derek you know, likes Ritter. Derek thinks Ritter is the best of the room. Ritter, I, I think Ritter looked very polished in the preseason game. His numbers aren't great because there were a lot of drops, but those were with you know, the third footing receivers. And I think starting caliber receivers would catch some of those plays. Whether the Falcons have any starting caliber receivers remains to be seen. But I thought Ritter, Ritter looked like he knew what he was doing, as opposed to, say, uh, Matt Corral in, in Carolina. Whatnot. <laughs> that's, Ritter not looked comfortable. that's not the yeah. bar, please. No, no but I was like, for, one half, for the first mm-hmm. half we've seen him, we've only seen him play the one half in, in, in the preseason game. Right. He looked comfortable. And I think that that's a promising first sign. Yeah. And one of the things you said is like, is this a great environment to nurture him if he got the starting job right away? Probably not, because the drop passes and the fact that he doesn't have a good supporting cast. Offensive line looks pretty wild right now as well. That's what Marcus Mariota is right now. So you do not have to worry about Redder in the opener, but you can put him in at some point. The obvious joke about Marcus Mariota possibly getting hurt, which I always do at the same time. You watch that game. He took about four hits 
in like a series and a half. Marcus Mariota did. So we might see Ritter sooner than later. I think he looked like he belonged. I don't know how polished I'm really uncomfortable with saying he was, but you're right. There's a 5%, 10%, 20% chance that quarterback's still on the roster this year. I mean, the, quarter, the quarterback of the future is actually on the roster this year. So Their defense also looks like a – their secondary is actually reasonable, right? A.J. Terrell was fantastic last year by charting stats. Just yeah, like best charting stats since Terrell Weavers in 2010, partially because he's very good and partially because why would you throw the ball at A.J. Terrell when you had the rest of the secondary to target? Correct. Uh, but and Isaiah Oliver, Casey Hayward, the safeties are all right. It's the front seven is just like uh, the front seven is a disaster zone. It's got it's got a it's got a big under construction sign on it. They, they used I think three of the top hundred picks on front seven guys. They brought yeah. in a bunch of like trades and stuff. They're shuffling things around just trying to see what works because again, it's a rebuilding year. You you get as many uh, live cards as you can and see what's going to stick for twenty twenty three. Did any of us watch the Falcons preseason game, by the way, and, and yeah. see how Drake to London? What do you think of Drake London? Drake London had one catch and got hurt. So uh, that, that's not ideal. And he probably won't play this week either, which is not ideal. I don't think it's serious long term. But, yeah, it's literally, hey, there's a catch by London, and he's limping to the sidelines. That's pretty much it. Like after Mariota scrambled and took a hit at the end of the scramble. that was that was The Falcons looked pretty good in the first series, but all the things you didn't necessarily want to see were the things that happened. Yeah, uh, the the Falcons wide receiver situation is very interesting. Last year, fewer than 60% of their targets to people in slot or wide went to actual wide receivers. They were going to Kyle Pitts. They were going to Cordero Patterson. Every other team in the league was above 70%, and most were above 80-90, unless you had Travis Kelsey or something out there. Watching the Falcons offense last season was watching something entirely out of, like, it was it didn't look like an NFL offense. It just, people were used in such strange ways. We've only had one right. – 25% of Kyle Pitts' targets came split wide, not even in the slot, out wide as a wide receiver. The only other tight end we have on the database who did that was Jimmy Graham back when he was arguing with the Saints whether he was a tight end or a wide receiver. <laughs> so strange to watch. Right, and and now you look at it, and, okay, Edwards probably is has some value, et cetera. We have an, a rookie coming off, yeah, getting injured in the first game. And then it's back to the same old yahoos behind them. Uh, Zacchaeus and those and those guys are still your three, four, five. Uh, Jimmy Bird has got some speed. I don't know anything about Kaderil Hodge. Geronimo Allison, like like the bottom of the Packers non Devonte brigade is 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 out there. It's really really rough. And again, Kyle Pitts will be split out wide. They have they have a good number two tight end, right? Did I, am I missing? Their number two uh, and, and is they, Anthony Ferkser used to be with Tennessee. Yeah, so he's familiar with the system. It's going to be st- he's going to be the one st- spending all the time in line while Pitts is out there yeah. being a wide receiver. Ugh. I look I at this roster. I don't, I, don't rec- I don't recognize the names in this roster. That's what bothers me. I don't recognize these names. Right. Well, like for example, the nose tackle on our lads is a guy who is a second-year college UDFA named Anthony Rush. I have no idea who that is. The defensive end opposite Grady Jarrett is Traquan Graham, who was a fifth-round pick last year. Yeah. Rashawn Evans, who kind of played his way out of Tennessee, I remember, linebacker. Like, I remember him. I remember yeah. Lorenzo Carter. I don't know who Michael Walker is, to be honest. I'm sorry. I know he was a fourth-round pick. Lorenzo Carter is a little underrated. He, he always comes out with good numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Nick Lukowski's had, had some good good years in the past. I mean, there, there are 
I try to be more optimistic about the Falcons than I am when I'm talking about the Panthers, even though they're going to be in the same basic kind of tier of the league. Because I under because the Falcons know what they're doing. They are they are they're they're clearing off the books. They're trying to get as clear as possible for next year. They're evaluating players. So players who shouldn't be starting for most teams, it's okay if the Falcons are starting because maybe they found someone here. Maybe the you know the fifth round pick from 2021 right. is going to be a thing. And so I try to focus more on the optimism because that yeah. I've seen worse receiving cores. I've seen worse front sevens. There, there are there are useful players here that could they, they should be all rotational pieces. Very few outside of Grady Jarrett. I'm not sure anyone in the front seven should be a regular starter. But you know maybe we're wrong. Maybe they, it's perfectly fine to be evaluating these people in this year. Yeah, I get the idea that the Panthers they're going to fire rule and everything, and all the young players that we're kind of excited about are going to be on another team in two or three years because they're going to be. Th- in this rebuilding churn, whereas the Falcons are at least like sort of slating things out here. If you squint, you can kind of see, well, that could be the bones of a competing team here. You have to be, you'd be very optimistic, but you know, there are players under contract who have potential or have a trait and, you know, so maybe we can, we can build this. Maybe we can build on this and build something. Right. Especially because it feels more likely. It feels more likely that the Panthers fail upwards and get themselves out of position to get Stroud or Young, whereas Falcons like are in position to get Stroud or Young. Yeah, the Falcons are either going to get Stroud or Young, or they're going to have a very uh, positive season going forward. You know, so either of those is a is a pretty good outcome. Do we have any interesting Falcons props, or is it like I mean, uh, it, who wants to bet on this team? Jeez, like, well, I, I have a rule: never, ever, 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 ever bet on the Falcons. Okay. They will <laughs> They will cover when you don't expect them to backdoor in the fourth quarter. They will clear the over when you don't expect them to. Anyway, if you are, this is pretty good, by the way, but I'm not doing it because I have a rule. Over six wins, over six wins at plus 260. I mean, our simulation loves that. The simulation thinks that's an amazingly good value. I mean, you, you get the Panthers twice. Those are winnable games. They have Chicago. They have, let's see who else on the schedule. They have Seattle. They have uh, Cleveland before. It would mean that they're better than you expect, which means that they're competitive with New Orleans and maybe pick off one of the two New Orleans games. Yeah. Uh, You know, they get Arizona at the end of the year. If Arizona does their general, you know, end of year collapse, there's enough, there's enough uh, uh, potential. They get Tampa Bay in week 18 when they may be resting all of their starters for, you know, the, the postseason. Yeah, yeah, I, I will take that. I will be the one being optimistic. And, and, about the problem, and six it. and six uh, is a is a push. Yeah, six is a push. Yeah. You have- so I would absolutely do that bet. Yes, six, because six is a push, especially you definitely. I think there's good value in that bet. All right, go nuts, guys, because I don't bet on the bet. <laughs> under four now. Under four is really pessimistic. That's only a plus one forty. I mean, again, our projections would be like. Are too conservative that there's just there's too many random wins for bad teams to go under four for anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want more juice if I'm going exactly. under four, especially in a division with the Panthers. You know, where you can say there's possibly two wins sitting there for you. And you said Chicago very early. Um, most of the other props, it's like these like complicated Quarterell Patterson rushing receiver. I don't like reading them out on the podcast because it takes 45 minutes. Here's one that caught my eye because it shows you how low the ambitions are in Atlanta. The Atlanta Falcons to score over 340.5 regular season points. 340.5 regular season points, the over. That's 20 points per game, folks. I'll save you the math. 
is at plus 100. So you can bet on the Falcons clearing the 20 point per game level. I do. I, I think I would do that. I think yeah. that there's, there's going to be points here in the fourth quarter when they're losing because their defense is terrible. The, and, you know, Mariota and Ritter are both live cards. You know, if one of them is better, you know, if one of them ends up being a starting caliber quarterback this season, that will raise all votes. You know, yeah. In the day, that's what the the Falcons always did. They get those fourth quarter points. There's where all those backdoor covers came from. You know, yeah, where you, you, you pick that prop, you get to root for backdoor covers. You get to root for backdoor covers. And, and again, if you guys like watching Falcons games, go nuts. I know you, you Falcons fans, you're out there. Heaven help all of you. Uh, but yeah, you, you guys, if you do that, I'm telling you, it's going to be a week 18 shutout if you do this. It's going to be week I'm going to go on record. Falcons games are going to be more entertaining than you think they're going to be because one, this defense is going to suck. Same argument for three years, but come on. Two, Kyle Pitts. Okay. Three, scrambling quarterbacks. And four, okay. Kyle Pitts. <laughs> Again, also Kyle Pitts. <laughs> yeah. uh, Atlanta games, I mean, it's not like they're. Let me let me look at the schedule. But my guess is that they're never going to be in any kind of. I think there's a Thursday. Didn't we figure out there was a Thursday night game against Carolina? Yes. Yeah, yeah, in November. Um, yeah, they play a Thursday night against Carolina in Week Ten, and they're in the late window against Seattle in Week Three in a game that'll probably be the also in the Charlotte and Seattle markets. Uh, and then, while, some yeah. other game, while some other game is nationwide. Like, we're not, there's not going to be a lot of Atlanta, but my bet, my bet is Atlanta is going to be more entertaining than you. They could be a good red zone team. Like, now we cut to Atlanta yeah. to show Drake London doing this great thing, or Kyle Pitts making this fantastic catch. And now we'll get back to you to the game that's actually competitive. It's the fourth quarter, and Washington is beating Atlanta 30 to 17. Now let's look at Kyle Pitts do something awesome. This is what Red Zone was built for. This is exactly no, what Red Zone was built for. No, okay, fine, right. Yeah, any team is fun if it's only their three highlights. Okay, yes. <laughs> any team is fun. As a, yeah, again, I, you guys don't understand. I go to a bar. There's always the Falcons game on this TV right here because somebody uh, who goes to the there's bar a Falcons has a fan yeah, There's a Falcons fan. So I am sitting next to a designated Falcons TV every week with like an Eagles TV and then like, you know, the national game TV. I watch the Falcons live. Don't. Tell me that this is an exciting team to watch. Do not try to sell me that snake oil. <laughs> we had to clip this, and and, and so we you know when they when when they surprise us all on their twelve and five at the end of the season, we can just replay this over and over again. <laughs> or when Kyle Pitts wins you your fantasy league, you're yeah. going, we do the FO fantasy league, and you win me because Kyle Pitts. You'll be like Kyle Pitts, not me. I always blame them. All right, that takes care of the Atlanta Falcons, and that takes care of the show, and that takes care of the NFC South. Thank you to everybody watching on YouTube and Twitch. Thank you to everybody listening on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Uh, we want to remind you about our partners at Underdog Fantasy, who have a ton of best ball tournaments. It is all the fun of fantasy football without having to constantly follow it and waivers all season long and – there's a chance to win part of a $10 million prize pool. You can sign up at Underdog Fantasy with promo code OUTSIDERS and get your deposit matched up to $100. So go visit our friends at Underdog Fantasy. Outsiders with an S, right? 
Outsiders with an S. Yes. Uh, next Tuesday, 1 p.m. Eastern, Tom Bassinger will be here, and we will be discussing the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. <sighs> DVOA loves the Eagles for this season and hates the Giants, and we will be discussing them both. That's Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, and then Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern is Pittsburgh and Cleveland. We're going to have to – we have to do it. We have to talk about the Cleveland Browns some more. That's next Thursday. We'll talk about the Cleveland Browns, the actual football team, next yes. Thursday. So thank you again to everybody watching. Please do not forget to subscribe to the show. Like the show. Subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about the show. In a couple of weeks, we'll be going to shows on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network every day at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, again, Tuesday, Giants and Eagles, 1 p.m. Eastern. Until then, everybody have a great weekend. So long.